0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Episode 108, The Paradox.
1: Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room.
0: Welcome to the Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you for joining me as we explore the U.S. medical system in a fun and informative format through expert analysis. And today's experts are me and my wife, Dr. Marcy Larson. As you may recall from episode 100 and then also episode 25, Marcy is a pediatrician here, practiced in general pediatrics in Grand Rapids, and she has made it a ministry of sorts to help parents deal with grief of losing their children. Now, as many regular listeners realize. Marcy and I lost our son Andy on August 15th of 2018 in a car accident. In this episode, we'll describe in a little bit of detail what happened, but you can certainly go back to episode 25, so that's theparadox.com slash 025, and you can get far more details and get a better feeling for what we were like back in November of 2018. And for those who hang around till the very end of every show, my son Andy's solo, What he Did at Christmas of 2017, closes the show. It's a teeny bit of tribute I can give to him and his amazing talent. We're very fortunate we even had that recording. It was almost sort of by happenstance at a rehearsal that Marcy just had on her phone. And I think it's just a testament to really the way our technology is now, where you just have so much data and things just hanging around on your phone, whether they're photos or videos. And never really know if you're going to want those things later. I have a number of videos of Andy just doing stupid stuff, uh, just 10, 12, year old kid stuff, diving in piles of leaves or whatever, and now you really cherish those, and those are things that, yeah, it's funny, I always thought it was uh, sentimental about things before, but uh, much more so uh, since his passing. Uh, the goal of this episode is a chat actually with the Kent County Medical Society, of which I was a former president. Uh, I host Sarah Fireside Chats. We've discussed a number of things on race and culture, and this will be grief. And we're going to be discussing specifically as a physician and I think as an ancillary benefit, too, for people who aren't physicians but know people who are dealing with parental grief and, honestly, grief of any sort. But we're going to focus primarily on our journey uh, through grief, what Marcy has learned through her podcast, which is quite a bit, and the interactions patients have, families with kids who have passed away, with the medical system, Uh, what pitfalls there are for those of us who are physicians and uh, how we can help each other. Even if you're not a physician, I think there'll be a lot of stuff that you can take away, in this is helpful pointers if you're dealing with a friend or family member who is dealing with grief. Uh, certainly if you're someone who has personally experienced it recently, this may provide some comfort to you uh, and some help, hopefully. Uh, but it will definitely give you some pointers and things to say, not to say what to do, how to help people who are dealing with the loss of a loved one, either child or certainly a spouse or someone else close to them. To that end, I'd recommend that you listen to Marcy's podcast, which is called Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. She's 65 episodes in. She's even more faithful than I am for coming out with a weekly episode. And she's actually booked way out into next year as far as interviews for parents. And the premise of the show is quite simple. It's talking to a parent about their child, about what happened, and what they've learned, what's happened to them, or sort of how they get by. It's a show that will really help people, I think, who are grappling with ways to help their friend or family member get through this uh, episode, or if they are personally experiencing grief, it certainly is with a child. It will provide a lot of insight and, I think, hope and really, honestly, just a recognition that the things that you're experiencing, the emotions you're feeling, are normal, and that, quite frankly, every emotion is normal, and even having them all simultaneously is normal. Uh, I will speak to that personally. And if you're thinking grief is not something that is a present concern of yours, just recognize that at some point, if you love someone, there'll be loss. Uh, You know, whether it's a love that's lost or someone passes away, whether it's a parent, a relative of some sort, a spouse or child, and that you need to not only know how to help others, but also to help yourself. And so I think there's a lot of information to be gathered in this discussion. And certainly by listening to Marcy's show, you can learn a lot too. And I think these are just useful life skills to have, whether or not you're a physician. Particularly if you're a physician, there's certain things here that I think will be uh, extra pertinent for you. And I think you'll get a lot out of this. And finally, I would like to remind you that this was a live recording and they're a bunch of doctors and some of them are, we'll say, seasoned and they have trouble using Zoom, and so there are times when people forget to mute their microphones, and so it might be a little bit distorted audio then. There's also a question posed by one of my colleagues later in the episode, which I will just repeat because, of course, it comes through the Zoom recording, and I don't have an actual audio of that. So I'll just repeat his question, and then you'll hear Marcy answer. But uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Dr. Marcy Larson, and this is our discussion for the Kent County Medical Society and its Fireside Chat Program. Enjoy. All right. Welcome to, I guess, is the fourth or fifth Fireside Chat we've had sponsored by the Kent County Medical Society. Uh, We're actually sitting in front of a fire because it's now November in Michigan. And as you know, it's that time. Um, (laughs) And we thought it
2: would be more better. So back up. Let's show the fire. Here's (laughs) our nice fire for our Fireside Chat. So hopefully you
0: have a nice, comfy, warm place to hang out here for an hour with us. I'm joined with my wife, Dr. Marcy Larson, who's a pediatrician town. I'll go into introductions in just a moment, but I want to get some uh, things out of the way. First, this is obviously sponsored by the Kent County Medical Society and, and the Kent County Medical Foundation for providing this uh, funding for this process. So I appreciate that, and I hope that all of you have an opportunity to share this with other people, and you can certainly watch this and the previous uh, fireside chats we've had in the um, series. We've talked about racism and cultural differences, so things that obviously affect us from either society and also within a profession, so I think those are better ways to help understand things. Tonight, we're going to be talking about grief and helping our patients grieve, Um, and we'll go into sort of why that's uh, pertinent to us if you don't already know us personally. Um, This is something that I think is important not only for us as physicians, but as just people who are um, obviously, you know... uh, dealing with our friends, our family, and our colleagues, and as we deal with, as they deal with grief, and then um, either helping them with other their family members or ourselves. I'm joined by my wife, Dr. Marcy Larson, who is a pediatrician here at Forest Hills Pediatrics in private practice as well. She is a uh, general pediatrician. And she's been in practice about as long as I have. She started a couple months after we moved to Grand Rapids back in 2004. So I don't know if you started in 2005 or you started... January
2: 2005. So, yeah, Yeah, so I think the 5th of January. hmm.
0: Uh, she runs a podcast as well. Uh, it's called Losing a Child, Always Annie's Mom. And that's obviously going to be sort of what we're going to discuss tonight. Um, Both Marcy and I went to medical school at the University of Iowa. We graduated in 2000. We then traveled all over looking at residencies and ended up with a match at the University of Iowa, hospitals and clinics. I did anesthesia. She did um, pediatrics. And I guess that's pretty much its way of introduction, at least for who we are professionally. We have three children, uh, Catherine, Andrew, and Peter. Uh, And the subject of today's show, I guess, or chat will be about Andy, Mm -hmm. who was never really Andrew.
2: Uh, Yeah. He's
0: always just Andy. And, um, so I think we'll just start by telling the story about Andy. I don't know if you wanted to start or if you'd like me to.
2: Um, yeah, it doesn't matter. I, I can start if I can tell a story if you want.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess I'll start and then you can maybe come in. Okay. That's fine. Um, so Andy is our middle child. He was 14 on, on August 15th, 2018. We were traveling as a family, uh, his younger brother Peter, Marcy and I were going to a Whitecaps baseball game on US 131. Uh, it was about seven in the evening because the game was at seven fifteen or something like that, and we we're going for a work event actually with Marcy's office. there. practice they had rented a, you know, thing for yeah, one of the sideline areas. Yeah, one of you, the decks. Yeah, yeah. One we of the decks. To the
2: deck and have unlimited food. I remember Peter saying he didn't eat all day because he was saving up room for what he was going to eat and they were talking the whole way on how much food they were going to be, get to eat at the baseball game. So yeah, we were just chatting about life Andy had just was just starting high school. He was in, um, freshman orientation at the West Michigan Aviation Academy and, you know, life was good.
0: He had, he'd actually just, um, he'd actually just made it to the, um, uh, to onto the soccer team, uh, the JV soccer team, and he was actually named a starter. And um, his first game was, this was a Thursday. His first game was on Saturday. It was
2: a Wednesday, actually. Oh, it was
0: Wednesday. Yeah, yeah Wednesday. Was Wednesday. And so it was going to be um, on Saturday that it was his first game. Uh, and then school would start on Monday. And so on our way to the game, as we're in the exit lane, as many of you know, on 131, in that exit lane onto West River Drive uh, into to Park, especially during games, the traffic slows down to almost – almost zero. I mean, you're going just a few miles an hour as you're trying to exit. And um, anyway, as we were pretty much at a standstill, we were struck from behind at, by car traveling highway speeds of 70 miles an hour. Um, we were thrown off the road into the, um, into the shoulder. Uh, through a sign, actually. Through the sign.
2: right sign, exit only sign. We went straight through that sign.
0: And, uh, and Peter was knocked unconscious Marcy was knocked unconscious. Um, I sustained some injuries to my f- face and my head. Um, and and Andy was killed instantly. Um, so I pulled Andy from the car. Um, at the time, just, I mean, nothing seemed real. I mean, he was, he's very small, and so it was actually not hard to lift him out of the car. He's a super tiny kid for 14. He was maybe like 80 pounds or something. And I took him to the side of the road, and I was. Um, Performing CPR for 15 minutes or so. Um, And, uh, and, and, and yeah, and and I remember you
2: saying that you did not think he was going to die. You thought, you know, I just need to get in an IV. I just need to do this. I just need to do that. I mean, you just don't think that your own child will die on the side of the road. It just, doesn't seem at all possible
0: so anyway um i worked on him for a while he was bleeding profusely um but he wasn't responsive he wasn't breathing and then eventually the ems uh, the firefighters came and they gave me a mask and so i ventilated him after i let another um person do some compressions after a while and uh, eventually they took and, me away to be with marcy and because then they, i had come to too at over. that
2: point, yeah. and- I didn't know, I just, I remember just waking up and turning and seeing, you know, three people around my little boy doing chest compressions and him having had needles sticking out of his chest and just me being, I was just couldn't believe what was happening, actually, just didn't seem like it possibly could be real. And then they they ended up putting me into a fire truck originally to be with Peter because I was just Kind of screaming at that point and and then um they then moved me to an ambulance and said it was to check me out but in fact they moved us both eric and i both to an ambulance to tell us um despite our best efforts we were unable to save your son words i'll never forget
0: <laughs> that was a long trip back to the hospital peter had already gone to the hospital and so marcy and i traveled an ambulance and peter is already being evaluated at that time um, and I ask if if you could if you could just mute your mute your audio.
2: Yeah, we've got somebody not on mute.
1: Um,
0: anyway, uh, so that was a long um, night. I don't think we slept much, and Peter stayed as an inpatient overnight because of his concussion. But essentially, yeah, we all, all just of us, stayed
2: in the hospital. Then the whole family. All so. of us were okay.
0: I mean, essentially, which was the kind of the, the jarring thing that the impact was pretty much on the right side of the car which is where, uh, Andy, uh, was seated, and he was the one, um, who obviously, uh, who's lost his life that night, um, and, uh, so that started us down a difficult path, obviously, so, um, I, of course, I, we, I was full-time, Marcy worked part-time, and, I guess can. I went back to work after a couple weeks, probably three weeks or so, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think my group was really great in that they allowed me to just work at one surgical location, and I think we can sort of get into sort of the the things about afterwards, but um, so I, and then I just kind of slowly worked myself, they covered all my call, obviously, until I was ready, and I think I took call.
2: You didn't take call for quite a while, Maybe November, eh? December
0: or something, it was months, it was probably the rest of that quarter I didn't do anything, so... Uh, and then I kind of slowly eased my way back into the, to sort of the normal routine. Um, and it is a different journey for you, obviously.
2: Yeah, I, you know, Eric had said how helpful it was for him to get back to seeing patients and back to work. And so I went back a few, just a couple of weeks after him, I, I was back. I don't know sometime in later September I think so or mid-September maybe so like four to five weeks or something and I went back but it was just so so hard incredibly hard because doing pediatrics everyone reminded me of Andy everyone who had a Michigan State sweatshirt on reminded me of Andy every soccer player was Andy every set of brothers was Andy it just everything was just so such a reminder for me and I would find myself crying between every patient and I just felt like I wasn't doing my patients any good and I wasn't you know I certainly wasn't helping myself and so I ended up taking a leave of absence really from the beginning of November and stayed home I did some administrative work but for the most part stayed home for the next year um and that that ended up being really important for me to take that time to get my head in a better place so I could be a good physician again and i have to say for a long time i feared that i wouldn't that i wouldn't be able to go back that i wouldn't be able to do that thing that i loved i you know i remember early on saying i don't think i can do this anymore and people would say but that's who you are you are a pediatrician you you, you will be able to do it again, but it was hard to believe that, I think, and what ultimately got me really back on track to be able to get back and see patients again was the fact that I started a podcast, and so I, I was trying to kind of help myself, and I thought, I'm going to listen to a podcast on for grieving parents and hopefully be able to glean some help from that, and I looked and I looked and I couldn't find one and then I told Eric I don't think there's a podcast for grieving parents and he thought that was crazy so he started looking and there wasn't a podcast for grieving parents at that time and I just crazily said I think maybe I was meant to do one and I don't know what even possessed me to say that and I regretted saying it almost immediately because Eric started encouraging me right away to go ahead and start but and after a couple of months it took me a couple of months I did I got a website I started a podcast and that's truly when I started to heal and it was um, being able to meet other parents talk to other parents having a place for my grief having a purpose for my grief something to do with it and not just feeling stuck so it, it was tremendous and it turned everything I was thinking completely around and now I feel like I have can have more compassion for people and do things that I wasn't ready to do for a long time you know
0: yeah there's a lot of uncertainty coming I mean going back to work I mean there are a lot of things that I didn't anticipate I think you know for me um I guess the the, one of the biggest things I didn't realize how many people I knew I I think uh you know you feel obligated when you see people that you have to sort of tell the story or, you know, at least they feel they feel like they have to say something. And the one thing you really don't want to you don't really want is a lot of people. I mean, it, I think at least that was my my feeling. And I was I was comforted by people like with the visitation. It was actually really uplifting having I mean, there were hundreds of people who came to our visitation. Um, but uh, going back to work, it was it was just really there's very very it was. I guess anxiety provoking to have so many people just around and that you, every day you're with a new people and because there's a, there's an aspect of you wondering what they're thinking and what do they think is comfortable, what to say, what's, what's okay to behavior. Is it okay for them? I'm sure. I know they're thinking like, can I talk about my kids? Can I talk about, um, you know, some stupid thing that's happening in my life that would have been a funny story in the OR, but now it be, it'd be hurtful to someone because now it's talking about, you know, because they have a kid to have a complaint about, right? I mean, these are all things we just do normal sort of conversations. And so um, so that was really helpful to me, just to be in one place for a little while. I mean, I was, obviously, there's some things like, you know, could I, the last person I masked was my dead son. I mean, could I do that again as an anesthesiologist and, um, you know, mass ventilates for someone, which, I mean, was went fine. But, I mean, there was a little bit of me who's always kind of worried if I'm going to freak out or panic or something like that. Um, um, so...
1: Uh, and, and for that, me too, with right. pa-
2: families that I had known forever, they just did not know how to act around me at all. They were just very uncomfortable. And um, early on when I tried to go back, I just, I was, I like didn't want them to talk about it. I just, because I would break down so easily. And because my emotions were just right there, it was just below the surface. And I, I was scared to kind of show that emotionality. Um, Now, of course, they aren't quite as high, but I also don't feel as fearful to let people see it a little bit. Um, I think that's been a huge change for me too is, is this realization that doctors are people too and doctors can feel emotion and it's okay to show some emotion as a doctor. You can't be weak and... Feel like your patients have to support you but to show some emotionality and some compassion is really important and it has changed my practice in medicine for sure i feel like now i actually care even more for my patients than i used to and i feel like i used to care for my patients in general but now i understand pain and suffering so much more so You know, I I recently had someone that is going to become my patient. They're having a new baby and they lost their first baby from SIDS. And so I talked to her on the phone for a good amount of time beforehand. And afterwards, I said to my office manager and some of my partners, I said, you know, every one of those patients has to come to me like everyone because I get it and I can understand that and they feel more comfortable knowing that I've experienced that and I can uh, relate to that. So it's it's just important. And, and not that you can't learn some of that too because you can and that's what I try to do to help people to be able to understand that compassion a little bit more. But you know, I, I, in the past I had taken care of families who had lost a child and i would never talk about that child and that was so wrong because that's what they love i remember reading something recently uh that a father had written and said um don't you know that when you say my son's name it sounds like music to me so that's a big change in something that i have found that Don't be afraid to talk about the person who has died, whether it's their spouse or their child or some other close loved one. Ask them how they're doing. Use that person's name because they love to hear it. And if you have children that you've lost, you know, everyone loves to talk about their kids. And just because Andy has died doesn't mean I don't want to talk about him anymore because I do. I want to talk about him just as I still talk about Catherine and Peter. So... You just can't make that subject totally taboo. And I think to realize that if then that person starts to cry, it does not mean that you did something wrong or you made them cry. Because you didn't. Because the emotions, like I said before, they're right there. You're almost going to cry anyway. There is no way that whatever that person said made me more sad. Because I can't be more sad. I can't have more sorrow in my heart than I do at all the time and so having someone bring up Andy's name even if now I have some tears in my eyes it actually makes my heart happy it makes my heart happy to know that you remembered him you know
0: yeah well without a doubt I mean actually I had a patient come who mentioned it to me just last week it said Andrew which to me Again, I didn't even register because he was always Andy. He was, even when he's in trouble, he's Andy. What,
2: well, yeah. What was funny is I remember him saying one time, "Andrew was Andrew," and like, "Oh, honey, that's your name." And he goes, "I'm not Andrew. I'm Andy." And like, "Yeah, you're right. You are right. We will not call you Andrew ever."
0: So yeah. So I had a patient who knew the story. She knew someone I worked with, and knew and said, "You know, I'm sorry about the loss of your son." And she knew she'd gone to some concerts and heard him, and and said, "I'm so sorry about Andrew." And so it, it is, it is. Um, I think that's a big thing that I think there, I think with the person who's grieving, at least this is my experience when I was in the OR, I always, it was actually really nice to kind of get that part of the conversation out of the way. So if if you haven't seen someone and there's been a loss, I think just acknowledge that it happened and then just kind of see what happens with that person. If they want to talk about it some more, they will. If they don't, they kind of, you know, it also depends on what your relationship is with the person. If Mm -hmm. it's, if you're close friends. You'll probably want to talk a little bit more if not, or if they're just not in the mood, they just won't. But, but I think getting it out of the way, it, it's, it, the more time that goes by, especially when you're at quarters like we are in an operating room, uh, I'm sure it would be similar in an office setting, that it's just like this big elephant in the room, right? And if it's not been acknowledged, then it just it, there's this anxiety like, when's it going to come up? When's it going to come up? You know, Are they thinking about it? I'm thinking about it. and, And so it's almost easier just saying it's not unprofessional to address it and then just kind of just move on. Uh, and just do not expect that you're going to have to have a long conversation or, you know, comfort someone, because frankly, you're probably, if you're, especially if you're an acquaintance, you're not going to comfort them probably to a whole lot of ex- outside of just saying, you know, I'm sorry for your loss and, and go on. Um, so I think, you know, that, that leads, I guess, to the, you know, your grief journey is different, everyone's is different, but yes. I think, you know, yours is unique in that you have a podcast and you've, and I've, I've tried to keep it with your podcast, but it comes out weekly <laughs> and I. And, you know, if you're interested, I mean, it's a fantastic, you do a fantastic job, but um, what do you think that you, what have you learned, I guess, in, from, from the people you've talked to, because you've talked to tons of parents, both men and women, mostly Mm -hmm. women, but a lot of, but some men as well. What's been their experience when it when it comes to dealing with medicals, the the medicals, you know, arena, like, because they're all presumably at some point, they interacted with someone in medicine with the death of their, their child. So what is, what if you sort of learned that we need to, that would be useful for people to know?
2: Well, I think I've talked a lot about, you know, to parents whose children die from illness. So that means they've had long-standing relationships with the medical community. And they actually, you know, when you have a child who is going through a, a lot like cancer or a heart disease or something that you're really involved in that medical system they almost become your friends in some ways too and so when that child dies they lose so much they lose so much more than just their child they've lost now their support system because they really relied on these people as almost kind of their friends in their community and they feel really cut off so it is really appreciated when someone still will reach out, you know, and whether you go to the funeral or you don't go to the funeral, you know, maybe a card, maybe something to let them know that your child wasn't just a diagnosis to them and wasn't just another number. I think the same could be said for a spouse too. I I have a good friend that we've met in a support group. Her son died at the University of Michigan, he had a congenital heart disease. He was never home, he never made it home, but he was there for I think seven months and they finally had to just stop everything and she went back on what would have been his first birthday to visit the ICU there, to visit the cardiologist and she saw a cardiology fellow in the hallway and the fellow had known that she was coming And she started to cry and the fellow immediately apologized. I'm so sorry. I told myself I wasn't going to do that. I'm so sorry I'm doing that. And for this mom, it was the best gift she could have had. That is out of that entire visit. That's the only thing she shared with us. She didn't share about seeing anyone else. She shared talking to that fellow who cried in the hallway just for a few minutes they didn't have a long interaction but to her it was like wow my little boy meant something to you and I I think it's important to be able to show a little bit of that humanity I mean this woman didn't fall into a heap she certainly didn't now have to be comforted but she did show compassion and so I I think that's important for people to do and again you know afterwards when people come in Ask how they're doing. Say something about their husband or whoever, or their wife. You know, don't feel like it's a taboo subject. Just just mention it and ask how they're doing and ask if there's anything you can do to help them or offer to do something. Like if it's, and if it's an outside of the professional setting, you know, if it's someone you know, just, um, you know, as a friend or something, maybe a co- coworker, offer to do something specific for them. I mean, I remember someone, a friend of a mom of one of Peter's friends said, I'm going to Costco today. What can I pick up for you? So it wasn't, can I go get something for you? Because my answer would have been no. But when she said, I'm going to Costco today, what can I get? I gave her a list of three things that I really needed from Costco because you know what? It was really hard for me to go to Costco. And that can be hard for many people. So I think, no i mean that's just a little bit different on whether you know them professionally or more personally but something to keep in mind for just life in general so and then you know there're
0: also things that people say um especially in medical professions yeah. right so i mean how do you what do you what do you say to a parent who let's say it's a patient you've had for a long time and they they die from cancer or something like that what do you what do you do you say sorry for your loss and you know i feel for you and understand
2: I I have to say one of the best things that I ever got was when someone said, I have no words for you because they're in that they're acknowledging the fact that nothing they say will make it better because in truth, nothing they say will make it better. So for you to offer a word of comfort is actually not helpful. It is not helpful at all. And, you know, for christians like ourselves and if you know that maybe your patient is a christian and you say oh they're in heaven now or oh they're not in pain anymore oh this "Oh, that like okay you know what that parent knows that i know that he's not in pain anymore but that does not make it easier for me and now what you've done which was not what you meant to do now you've had a guilt on top of it so now i'm already missing my son i'm already super sad and now i'm feeling guilty like i'm a bad christian because i would rather have him here in pain instead of in heaven not in pain so it's it just added another negative thing now if they say to you well I'm really glad he's not in pain anymore then you go that is wonderful that is a comfort right you can acknowledge if they said something but don't actually have it be your idea just because it's it just feels and I've talked to many many parents this is not isolated to me this is This is what a lot of people tell me that they just get really irritated when people try to offer kind of platitudes to see if they can make them feel better when you just, what you really need to do is be willing to go to the dark place and just sit and just say, this sucks. This is terrible. I know how horribly hard this must be for you. And then, Let me know if there's anything I can do for you. Can I do this? Can I do that? Just offering some things. Um, Ask what kind of support they have. You know, are you, do you have someone that you can talk to? Are you getting help with things? I mean, that kind of stuff can be helpful is to try to, you know, maybe talk about that and ask what help they're getting and ask if they have things, people that they can ask for help. You know, if. You know, I remember you talking about how you were in the OR one day and someone said, yeah, my neighbor's son just died and I don't know what to do. And it somehow came up that I used to see him always mowing the lawn in outside. And I remember you giving them the advice, go mow his lawn. Go mow the neighbor's lawn because you know how hard that's going to be to not have their teenage son be able to do that. That would be torture to have to go out and do it yourself. So if you would go over and say, you know what? I'm going to mow your lawn. I'm mowing my lawn. I, I want to mow your lawn for you. I'm sure that would end up taking a huge weight off. So just some of those little type of things, think about little things that might be able to help them. And if it's you are in a professional kind of relationship, just ask, who do you think you could ask to do that for you? Um, I think that would be helpful.
0: Yeah. I. I consider myself fortunate. I never had suffered from depression, and I don't think, and I don't know that I. Well, I was depressed when he died, and very sad. But I don't know that I. I guess I don't know what the clinical. I'm an anesthesia. I don't know what the clinical depression is, but I mean, I definitely felt that um, anhedonia, right? That just the, the 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 disinterest in doing anything, and and so simple. and everything is hard. Little things, yeah. Are hard. Like just getting even ready for going ready for the day or something is just like a, it's an effort. And so I think, you know, that people just come, just coming in and actually either just saying they they are going to go do something. And like you said, with the, the Costco example, but mm-hmm. we had people come in, they just showed up and said, Hey, we're going for a walk. Mm-hmm. Can I, can I take you right now? Versus calling you and saying, Hey, is there something I can do? Or do you might do you want to go for a walk I, or do something later? You probably would have said no.
2: I and- remember people coming to the door and bringing food and them, their parting words being, Call me if there's anything I can do for you. And I, as I would shut the door, I would th- be thinking in my head, I am never going to call you. I am never <laughs> going to call you. And because it just, that takes too much effort, actually. I really need you to come to me. And I know that's a lot to expect, but it's what what I need. And I just, and I try in my podcast to encourage people to ask for help, uh, just because I know how hard it is and how hard it was for me. You know, this last week, I actually interviewed a physician's assistant and she was talking about how I mean she's having really very very difficult time it's only been a few months since her daughter died and um she said I just uh, sometimes it just hits me that I still have to go home and empty the litter box and, and she said that on her podcast and then she emailed me the other day because this just was out this past Thursday and she said, just so you know, my mom called me and she said, just so you know, I'm emptying the litter box the next time I come over. <laughs> so um, it, it's just people don't think about that. Those little things just seem crazy hard to do when you just don't want to do anything. When it's just Because it takes so much work just to grieve. Grieving takes a lot of work. So these little things can be hard, hard to do. Now, sometimes those little things can be good because they keep your mind occupied. Like for you, even getting back to work, you needed that because you needed to keep your mind occupied. And for me doing that, it was just too, it just hit too close to home because I was just seeing too many kids. And it was just reminding me of Andy too much. But yeah, I did some administrative stuff for that same purpose to keep my mind a little bit busy well and
0: i think for professionally it was helpful for me to go to work because although it was um there's a lot of anxiety seeing all these people for the first time second time third time and then after a while you sort of get used to it but uh those people who you know i care for them they care for me and so it was i mean that there's sort of a support system in in some respects right um you know i you you have a few different spheres in your life you've got your friends your family and your you know people you work with Mm -hmm. and and to take one out, and you know, I'm sure that's why it's difficult retiring, right? Because you lose a lot of those people, a lot of your sort of your world sort of disappears. And so I, it was sort of like that for, for losing Andy. So it was helpful going back and being around those people who I always assumed they cared for me. I assume that still, <laughs> if you're out there. Um, and uh, so I, I, think I, felt I, had, I got comfort from being around them even though just knowing that they sort of, they shared in the, the pain, I guess the anguish of, of losing Andy. Um, so we, you kind of mentioned a bunch of do's and don'ts. I mean, what do you, can you think of some stories of, of people, of things that people have said or things that have happened? I mean, we've had a couple of them, like with, when Peter got his blood drawn, but, um, or other things that, you're, yeah. that people on your podcast have mentioned. That
2: yeah. Think. I mean, just to do that blood drawing story, it was a few months after Andy died, um, Peter had just been having a lot more trouble with his migraine headaches, you know, after this concussion and then just losing his brother. And so anyway, we had taken him to the neurologist and they wanted to do just a little bit of blood work just to make sure everything was okay. So I bring him in and um, the phlebotomist just is trying to make small talk because he's going to draw blood on a 12 year old and thinks, well, he's probably nervous. And so I'm sure it was just very, very well meaning and asked how many brothers and sisters do you have and that question of course froze him up and he didn't really know how to answer and so he kind of faltered a little bit and he said i have one sister because he just didn't want to go there you know he just didn't want to talk about andy and that that is fine i mean there it just depends i've talked to a lot of different parents and how they answer that question it's a it's a very very hard question to answer because you just don't know how to answer it because you don't really want to go into it with strangers so anyway he just said I have one sister and she just you know very quickly said well you don't sound too happy about that thinking he didn't like his sister and and then he immediately started breaking down and crying and I turned to her and I said it's because his brother died just a couple of months ago in a car accident and she said oh and then she had this kind of awkward pause and then she said well you've got to look on the bright side and I just kind of looked at her and I thought what exactly would that be I mean there's really not a bright side here I mean I I just it was just such a stupid thing to say so it and it made me think about though how you just aren't ready you just don't know what to say and then you just end up saying something like the first thing that comes into your head, which was obviously completely wrong. I mean, I she tried, but it, it made me start to think about how we need to educate people <laughs> to be a little bit more ready for what they're going to come up with at that moment to say something like, oh, I'm so sorry, I... I mean, just anything but to try to make them feel better because that's why I talked about that at the beginning is don't try to offer some comfort when it's just a sucky situation. Just acknowledge that it's horrible and and feel, you know, just feel that with them. You no, know, again, I think the best thing really is I have no words for you. I'm so sorry. I mean, just to be able to say that is like, I've acknowledged how terrible this is. I've acknowledged I can't make it better. I've acknowledged that I care. Yeah. So anyway, I, yeah, that was a stupid thing <laughs> for sure. So, but then again, I, it's, it's help. it's, she tried. Yeah. Well, it's, and yeah. I do have to give that too, because I've talked to a lot of parents too recently, just that same woman that I talked to on the podcast. She talked about how, her brother had never said anything to her after her daughter's death at all. And how incredibly hurtful that had been to her that she, that he didn't say anything.
0: Cause he didn't know what to say. And he so didn't sure know what was, to say. Yeah. And
2: so I talked to her quite a bit and I said, I'm sure he cares. He just has no idea what to say. He doesn't want to say the wrong thing. So he says nothing. But I think talking to, bereaved to people across the board, saying nothing is a really bad idea. I mean, we will give you grace if you say the wrong thing, but when you say nothing, those are the ones that you actually kind of end up holding a grudge against. I mean, she's definitely the most angry at her brother, even though other people have said really stupid stuff to her. And she's talked about some of the stupid stuff, but it's easier to forgive that than the people that don't say anything. And I'm I've been in groups now, You know, I'm just in a lot of grief groups now. So I'm in a women's grieving group that is with um, widows and bereaved moms. And it's it's the same thing for them. I mean, if, if they just the people that don't acknowledge it or when you had friends when you were couples and now they've just like, you know, they just don't have anything to do with you because you're not in a couple anymore. It's just so, so hurtful. Yeah as opposed to saying, you know, saying something and trying something and inviting them to something. And that that's been a big theme for widows too, is that they don't even get invited places anymore. And they at least want the invitation. I mean, if you get if give the invitation, then they can say no. And then now that's put in their court. It's is but if you say, I really I would like you to come, if you feel comfortable coming, please come. And that, that is much better than just not inviting them because you, you assume they're going to say no. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, and I guess along those lines, like I said earlier, I think, you know, in a professional setting, for me, talking to colleagues, for me, I'm just, I mean, I don't have much interaction with the patients. They're, you know, I talk to them for about five, six, seven minutes and then they're asleep. Um, but I speak, you know, obviously with the surgeons and the circulating staff. And, and again, it's not unprofessional to bring up the fact that there was, you know, there was this loss. And just, and again, getting out there and clearing the air, it's not unprofessional if there's some tears and stuff. I mean, obviously don't say it in front of a patient, you know, where it's going
2: to. Well, where it makes the patient feel awkward. Yeah, it right. makes the patient yeah. feel awkward. And you don't want to say it person- with a colleague and when the patient's like just hanging out in the room. I mean, if the patient knows you and brings it up to you, well, that's yeah, different. Right. I mean, I've certainly had plenty of patients bring stuff up to me. I have patients bring me gifts. I tear up in front of patients. Before COVID, I would have some moms give me a hug. We don't do that anymore. But, you know, <laughs> I I would have that. And they would be fine with me, you know, um, showing some emotion. And which, which I think was important. Because when you think about it, as a pediatrician, you feel like, um, I, I think I feel like I almost am part of their family. Like a lot of times they feel like Dr. Larson is just part of our family. And Dr. Larson gives advice. And so even though they don't really know me they feel like they do and so it in any way that it's it's tough on patients too and I think to give them that and to because it was unfair when I first went back to I told my nurse I told the staff just tell them not to talk about it no talk about it but that wasn't really fair to them because in some ways they needed to talk about it too they needed to say I'm so sorry to hear about Andy how are you doing they needed to be able to say a few words and to see what my response would be and to just to acknowledge that back it was really important so I I feel like it's important both ways you can't just ignore it and pretend like it's not there when everyone in the room knows it's there so whether it's the doctor who had a loss the the patient who had a loss Still, you can't ignore it,
0: totally. Do you, th- do you think that, um, you know, you went back for a couple weeks and it just didn't work out? Yeah. Do you think it would have been better had you had those conversations with patients? Do you think you would have been I, gotten I, through it, or do you think it, you still would have ended up in the same place? I
2: think I would have ended up in the same place only because I wasn't in a mental state for that. Yeah. And, and the big, tra- like I said, I really needed that time and what ended up happening in the podcast to change my head. Because my head initially was I can't believe I'm talking to somebody about how the fact that they can't get their kid to sleep when all I want to do is to be able to put Andy to bed or, and have him, you know, not right, be sleeping. Right. It, or I can't believe they came in for a, a you know, a two-hour fever or something. Like, why are they coming in for that? So that's what things were like right away for me. And what has changed in the meantime, as I've healed more, is now I see those same people. I see somebody coming in whose child had a fever for a couple of hours and I think, wow, that is really a worried parent. I really need to be able to offer some, I I need to talk to them and tell them why I'm not worried about a two hour fever because they really are. And so it gave me more compassion for them and more understanding because I feel like, wow, they must be really worried to show up here like that. So it made me a more understanding physician in that regard and just think about things a little bit differently.
0: Yeah. Well you certainly went in a place to have you weren't in a place where you had any empathy. Your empathy tank was completely empty. It and was. so you weren't able to you needed people to comfort you as opposed to provide any sort of comfort or mm-hmm. understanding for what You're going right. Through. So
2: it's just it's just what you have to offer at the time and I just didn't have enough to offer and and even now it can be a little bit much i mean with covid the number of teenagers that i see with anxiety and depression is really high and i deal with that a lot of my day and there are days i mean you saw me a couple weeks ago i came home i was i was drained i was drained because still first of all i think i have more compassion now so i spend way more time with them and and a lot more effort. And, and still, I, I, I am experiencing a lot of loss, too. So I think that it gets to be a challenge sometimes.
0: Sure. Well, I'd like to open up for questions. If anyone has a question, you know, obviously we're very open. And so just about any subject is fair game. I'd say if you want to hear more about our story, I, um, you can go to Marcy's podcast, which is, again, Losing a Child, Always Annie's Mom, Episode 1, where we talk about it. And if you want even raw, uh, more raw, is that the right word? <laughs> um, a discussion, that was back in November, I think, of, of 2018 when you discussed it on my show. When my show is
2: yeah, I think I at the Paradox. It's getting
0: the spellings one. on the screen there. But paradox.com uh, slash 025. So it's episode 25. Um, well, you can and, find out more about And
2: actually, it. also, just this past Sunday, I was on, I was a guest on a podcast called The Changed Fidgets. Changed Physician podcast. And that one is really very much like this. It goes into our backstory and kind of how we how I became a doctor, how we went through medical school and residency together, then the loss of Andy and how that has changed me as a physician. So again, that's that's the Changed Physician podcast. It's it's really is a nice podcast. You've been a guest on that show as well, yes. and it does talk a lot about just physician issues. So I th- that would be a great um, thing too.
0: Yeah. So if you're in the Marvel Universe and you're interested in the origin stories, that's a <laughs> that'd be a great episode for you to catch up on. Um, so I don't know if there are any questions that anyone has. I think you can either unmute mute yourself or if you want, you can just certainly hit the chat function. Um, and uh, I guess I don't know if at this point, I guess I don't think there's a whole lot more that, you, that we need. Yeah, go right ahead. Hi. Question from Dr. Herm Sullivan. Thank you for sharing your story. I never knew Andy, but feel like I do now. I do have this one question. You admit to being a changed physician, and I don't see how anyone could not be changed. But how do you teach this? Can you teach others about this vicariously? How do you think young medical students can learn from this if there's some way without going through something like this to them?
2: Well, interesting you should ask that question because I actually was asked to speak before third-year medical students via Zoom this summer um, for a medical school in Chicago and um, just about being okay to show some compassion and um, be a person too. And it was was really, really amazing. And the feedback we got was tremendous. And I mean, some of the students said that it was the best lecture they had heard in their years of medical school so far. Because so many of them actually went in with this, you know, desire to help people. And a lot of times they did have personal stories. I mean, if you look at me and you wanna listen to that Change Physician podcast, I actually did become a physician because my parents both had cancer when I was growing up and I lost my mom when I was in college. I wouldn't have become a physician without that. But what ends up happening through this process is you are expected to sort of turn off your humanity in some ways. I mean, I remember back to residency, we lost several patients. And I, I remember one particular that I feel like I screwed up so badly. So I dealt with all of these patients and I was a rock, right? I never cried, I never showed emotion. I was, I thought, handled it well professionally and one time I had a patient that I had cared for on and off for a year because she'd been in the hospital for a full year in the Peds ICU I had gotten to know the parents quite well there was always one of them spending the night and um and then a half an hour before I was to start my shift that day and I was assigned to the Peds ICU and I was caring for her at the time she died very unexpectedly we did not expect her to just suddenly die like that and she did and I went in and I just didn't know what I was going to do I knew I had to walk into the room you know I walk into the room there's this mom holding her dead 13 month old in her arms and I started to break down I started to tear up and she hugged me and I held her I held her and her dead baby between us for probably, you know, 30 seconds. I just held her. And she got done and she looked at me and she said, Marcy, you are going to be a great general pediatrician. And what I heard in my head was, you better be a general pediatrician because you can't handle this at all. You stink at this. There's no way you're going to be the, should be the one to tell someone that their baby died. And but that's not what she meant and I didn't know that's what wasn't what she meant until after I experienced it and I lost my son. What she meant in that moment was you care. You care for your patients and somebody is going to be so lucky to have a doctor that cares that much about their patients that you feel it. And yeah, so the, that was the time I for years thought I had really messed things up and I told the medical students that story and that was so profound to them because they really had started to feel like they had to be that robot and they couldn't ever show emotion and they couldn't ever act like people. And like, there were some that were feeling like, I don't know that this was the right choice for me. And they just felt so relieved that they, that they could actually show a little bit of humanity and that wasn't going to be completely forbidden know
0: so this is why it didn't
2: work us. we really
0: appreciate oh. you
2: getting some nice chat comments too oh, okay well, it, well thank you, know you it has been
0: our it has been our pleasure um i i guess you know my parting words in this would be don't be afraid of people who are in pain don't feel like you have to make them better because you're not going to um, but acknowledge their humanity and yours and um, you know you are you and you'll be whoever you are. And so I think that's the sincerity and just the genuineness is probably the thing that's most appreciated by people. Um, and if you have other questions, you can certainly email Marcy at Marcy at Andy's If you have any questions that you come up later about, you know, how you deal with things as a, within a group maybe, or are you, and you can certainly contact me as well. I'm at Larson at APCPC.net. Uh, Or if you can't remember that, just go to the KCMS website and you can certainly just send an email there and they can get it to me and we can answer those questions. So hope to see you all on December 7th when we talk about COVID
1: 19 and vaccination efforts. So good night, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what the doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher and share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash the paradox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com.